It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. Listen in as we discuss the 1984 film Terminator. Once again, like all seasons, new things come and go. And on top of everything else that we have on the menu, ladies and gentlemen, those in between and unaffiliated, we have a new retrospective. Another one. <laughs> a another one. Are we having too many eggs in one basket, friend? Or are, are we having too many eggs scattered in too many baskets? Because, yeah, we have so many series running at once <laughs> hard to keep track Big projects obviously there's 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 ongoing projects that are supposed to be like that that's that's fine never in yeah doubt. yeah godzilla yeah that'll be forever video game movies until they stop making until they stop making video game movies or animated anime hollywood adaptations whatever it was called oh i forgot about that one <laughs> darn it uh we will not like stop anyway but this one this is a limited series. This one is very limited, in fact. Mm. The crux of this entire thing, of this series, came about when... I still haven't seen it, by the way. Uh, when it was finally announced that after... God, what is it? 13 years, is it? Thirteen? No, 12 years, right? 12 years. Maybe it's 13. Um, Avatar 2, whatever it's called, but still haven't seen the trailer... Uh, is finally going to get released. Yep, 2009. Yep, so 13 years. Wow. Yeah. Get you can get a find a internet program that or a program that can give you the exact date. I I could do that now, but what, <laughs> regardless of the fact, we you know started chatting about it and we're like you know what I, I I just like you know threw it out there saying like you know what what if we did commentaries on Jimmy Cameron's films that he's done. <laughs> and I said, no commentaries. Cut that. There you go. And I, <laughs> but I, I, I quickly, you know, re- realized what I had said. And I was like, wait a minute. No, sorry. <laughs> Speakeasies. There we go. Discussions about his films. Yes, going in chronological order. Yeah, through all seven of his films. And you agreed to this because you're like, yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. That seems something like we can tackle. Unlike other things we tried, or other things I tried, excuse me. Yeah, and I'll just say it's it's funny timing because I just started releasing the uh, the early parts of the Kubrick retrospective. I mean, Eric started all the way back in December of 2021. So so we've been working on this for a little while. I've already worked a little bit in covering a director's career. But I've always wanted to do this. This is something that I do in my own time. Go through a director's uh, whole career in order. And I think it's a really cool way to uh, get perspective on 
on how their kind of work evolves. So I'm very excited to go through this with you. But of course, I mean, we've had these ideas for years. We've wanted to do many retrospectives on different directors, and then it'll still happen. Like, it's not like it won't. But for now, we're going to start with this one. Um, certainly a, what is it, a remake, redo, excuse me, whatever you want re-something of the Star Wars commentaries. Not Obviously, we're redoing those. Oh, yes. From, but... <laughs> With a different perspective, not different perspective, but with somebody else um, initializing those ideas instead. We had no plans of going back to Star Wars except for four films that we were going to rewatch. Uh, not before we rewatch, but we'll do. Sorry. Yeah. Regardless of that. Um, yeah, so now we've done quite a few of these at this point. And like Strange Animation and like the Kubrick series, this retrospective is going to be put out bi weekly. So you can tune in now, and then two weeks from now, you'll get the next one, Aliens. Two weeks after that, you'll get the one after that. This one's definitely going to be a lot longer than Strange Animation and the Kubrick series. We were doing four apiece for those two. This one's going to be seven. So it's going to be quite a number of weeks. It's going to be 14 weeks before this is done. But uh, but Isaac and me are very excited to go through this. Isaac, do you have any, uh, any comments before we jump into the episode proper? Obviously, I think we have to address the elephant in the room. But guys, but novice elitists, the commenters say, um, <laughs> didn't James Cameron direct Piranha 2? Mm, Piranha 2 The Spawning. Well, I do have the details on that story if you'd like me to, uh, to go into it. If you would please, sir, inform all us of what uh, The Spawning was like. Yeah, this will be a little bit of a tangent, starting all the way back in 1977 when James Cameron saw Star Wars on the big screen. Well, would you look at that? Everything goes back to Star Wars. <laughs> it goes back to Star Wars, yes. So he was working at the time, I believe is a, a truck driver. And he saw Star Wars and he was inspired and he said, I want to become a filmmaker. I want to get into film. But it took a long time before he got to actually direct one. And it started with him working with a bunch of cheapo films, including having an extended career with Roger Corman. And he did set building, that's how he met uh, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton was also doing set building stuff. And Gilhan Hurd, who produced this, he also met during that Roger Corman time. Uh, but near the end of it, he'd worked himself up to doing the special effects for a number of films. And Piranha 2 was one of them. And two weeks into filming Piranha 2, the director was fired because the producer was like a weirdo control freak and he was like nope this guy's asserting too much command he's out the door let's bring in james cameron he can be a ventriloquist dummy for me and i'll just put my hand up his ass and direct him around and james cameron never saw dailies on the film he was shooting he said he had next to no control he was just parroting whatever the producer wanted and so he disowns it he doesn't consider it his first film and fair enough, it's terrible. <laughs> Even if he did direct it, I probably wouldn't. Uh, I'd be like, oh, that one, that's the ugly stepchild. Just just forget about Piranha 2, the spawning. Don't, uh, don't watch that one. So so we chose not to watch that one. Or I did, I should say. Yeah, that's fair. Anybody who wants us to, um, you would have to do the com or discussion excuse me, with us. So that's, that's, that's the fair. bar I'm going to set. That's, 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 what, that's, that's what we'll do. If somebody wants us to... They have to uh, talk about it with us. And the first Piranha directed by Joe Dante. I'd like to revisit that one. I remember that one being very fun. Well, probably won't be in this series, at least. But I'm not no. really <laughs> that one out of the fact. 
Yeah, and we'll discuss Joe Dante a little bit later because he also has some connection to this film. But pardon me if I'm wrong, it wasn't James Cameron also in Empire Strikes Back. Wasn't he part of the sets building or am I wrong on that? Maybe that's an urban mm-hmm. legend I heard about somewhere. I believe it is a urban legend. I tried to look up any sort of details to find if he had any production connections to Star Wars. But the only story I could find is that initial inspiration. Um, but he did do uh, map paintings and set design for Escape from New York. So, so that's something. But not for Star Wars. Okay. Yeah, thanks for informing me on that. I, I know he's affiliated with somebody else. I, don't, I, I, knew, I knew the Roger Corman connection. I just didn't know if there was a George Lucas connection or not. Yeah, and I did want to mention, I think it's shocking that we've gotten to this point. I think in terms of our official reviews, we're at... Uh, let me quickly look. This would be 168 in oh, terms golly. of actual episodes. We missed 150. Oh, crap. <laughs> and I'm shocked that we've not covered any Roger Corman stuff. Roger Corman, his various phases in his career, some of them are very close to my heart, and I just think it's a damn shame we've not covered any of his films. But <laughs> 160... 60? Yeah, 168... Eight, jeez, uh, 168 of these pro- projects, episodes, whatever you want to call it, because they're not all. Sp- this, yeah, we're talking commentaries or speakeasies. These are straight episodes on a film. These aren't including speakeasy episodes. Okay, got it. Duly noted. Bonus episodes, I should say. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's wow. Okay, yeah, that's uh, when you're saying that. Yeah, it's interesting that what we've talked about, not all the stuff is great but hey we did we we did our well, okay i probably could have done better but uh <laughs> we made it happen let's just put it that way and we yeah. learned from those experiences hopefully yeah it's all a process yeah yeah just like a process in in making a film like like james cameron had with terminator oh <laughs> do tell sir so any initial uh any initial yep all right so yes so caleb what, what did you think of this film uh, what do I think of this film? It's difficult for me to say. I see. I see. This is a film that's been with me since... Hmm. I feel like I may have seen this around the same time I saw Aliens for the first time. So, let's go back. Maybe, yeah, maybe I should also ask the question of... Caleb, when did you first watch this film? I was probably around six, six or so, I think. And I saw it on TV. I think I even watched it with my mom. <laughs> Because she used to like watching horror movies with me, and then later on in life, she regretted that because I became obsessed with horror movies. Um, but this one definitely scared me. Um, I didn't know about the boobs. I didn't know about that until I bought the DVD many years later. But this is one that I definitely saw many times when I was young. And it's one of those movies that the almost the entirety of it is just printed in my brain. If I wanted, I could just sit there and just play the movie in my head. I know it so well. So, <laughs> So it's weird to review a movie like this. Yes. And what's your experience with it? So, it is a pop cultural uh, icon uh, because everybody has probably quoted it numerous times. Most of uh, Arnold's lines, excuse me. And also some of uh, Michael Bean's lines. Hmm. But, so you kind of know it through Zeitgeist uh, and the culture, but you never like know it from watching the film. That's at least, this is after the fact, if you aren't in the 80s, when you experience it for the first time, and 
everybody's just quoting these 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 lines either at schoolyards and bars or online forum chats anything like that so i sort of know these these quotes as a kid and or teenager but i don't know where they originate from somebody says the terminator and i'm like oh okay as far as i'm aware i first was exposed to terminator when i went to universal studios call back to our speakers <laughs> that we just did um when i went and watched or experienced excuse me the t2 ride i think there oh, back wow. in 05 uh which is no longer there if i recall yeah i never got to see it yeah, that was the one. I think it was the promote, like it was promoting T two at the time in like ninety one or two, uh, where it had like the four D venture, whatever it was, where it was like an intro. To, see, I wish that was also like included in a DVD or a, an extra fe- a special feature somewhere. Like, I just want to see that. Like, that's now lost. People probably have filmed it, but like, I want to see that again. I can't experience the ride, but I still just want to see what that's like. I remember, there was like. The T-10,000, which was this giant crab that was made out of polymorph. I'm obviously oh, wow. shooting, shooting away from that. But like, I, I still remember that. I remember the intro where I think Shaq was in it. Where Again, this is 91, <laughs> so maybe it was Shaq. Maybe it was another basketball player. That's not insensitive to me to say. But like, I thought, I, in my mind, I picture Shaq. Maybe I was wrong on that. But it, it was kind of, it was like a cool like Cy- Cyberdyne Industries uh, was like promoting itself and saying like we're here's like human enhancement through machinery and cybernetics and showing like if you're a basketball player you put this like prosthetic eye in your in your eye socket and you like can throw the perfect ball by uh, projecting like the vectors and the angles at which you throw the ball uh, to get the line the perfect shot up and a bunch of other stuff and then like the video is interrupted by this resistance fighter from the future. It's like, this is all a lie. And then they take you through time. It's really cool. Oh, that is cool. But that was not, I did not later go to watch Terminator after the fact, but I at least sort of knew what that was, but it really didn't have much of an impact on me other than like, I remember it as like a, a cool thing, but it didn't cause me to go out and watch it. Probably again, because even though rental stores existed back then, I, probably wasn't allowed to watch it just because my parents were a lot more strict on you and again you had money i did not to my well other than my you know birthday presents of money and gifts i did not have a job nor chores to do to get an allowance so i did not have money to go out and buy these things or rent these movies and items uh of such consumerism so 2009 rolls around Yes, it's for both. Yeah, 2009 was both. Yeah, I watch, finally get to watch Terminator with my dad. I remember. And this movie creeped me, the ever-living crud out of me. Specifically, the soundtrack, the ominous soundtrack presence throughout the entire film. And, of course, the ending after the uh, tanker truck explodes. Yes, and we'll, we'll definitely discuss the soundtrack. But, but I'm glad, yeah, that you also found it creepy because i've always considered this a horror film i don't think the sequel is but this one definitely feels like one to me it feels like almost a slasher just with a more sci-fi bent pretty sure that is exactly what uh cameron was intending to make it as where it's a slasher done correctly unlike 
Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street or what have you. Aww. The Halloween <laughs> well. sequels. <laughs> well, the Halloween, Halloween sequels, yeah, definitely sucked. Oh, I'm seeing, uh, by the way, I just wanted to comment. I'm currently watching this on my old DVD, which has never looked better than one upconverted on my 4K uh, Blu-ray player. I was so surprised how good the DVD looked compared to ones that you would get from like 2011. Interesting. In the modern movies where they would actively cheap down the DVD resolution because they wanted you to buy the Blu-ray. Of course. But it looked so good that I could actually see sweat uh, glistening on Arnold's ass as he was walking away. Yeah, I think I could see that as well in my version. <laughs> now, I was curious, were you watching in HD or... Yeah, I was. I have the copy where it's got a cover to it. I should probably show you this. You're probably super jealous. Where it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, Terminator... I guess in French, a James Cameron film, and it's got, it's all in a red background. I should just send you the picture of this, and it's got the hand. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's one of those, It's I think it's similar to the one, yeah, it's peel away, but I'm not peeling this thing away. Uh, it's similar to that Alien cover almost. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember when that came out. Yeah. yeah. I got this at Walmart. I don't remember when, but I'm forgetting it at Walmart. I just, I actually just took the packet, it took it out of the packaging today. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, so I got it ages ago. I don't remember when, but. I, I saw the cover and I was like, I gotta buy that because of how like cool the cover. Even though it's again, it's a peel away. I, I don't care. It looks cool. <laughs> yeah, did it look pretty good on the the Blu-ray? I think it looks really good. Yeah, I was just probably press play right now to watch it alongside. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it looks really good. It the beginning part, like when it says you know Los Angeles twenty twenty nine, looks reminds me so much of Hadley's Hope in Aliens. Hmm. Oh, I didn't. I never thought of that connection, but yeah, I could see that definitely starts out immediately with the blueness <laughs> cameron's never blueness oh hey wait a second i forgot about that yes <laughs> we're finally we're finally getting to it eh this uh this is the start of it he i gotta we gotta figure if his favorite color is blue or not oh i'm pretty sure it is it's it's all over this movie which is weird because the movie's got kind of a grimy look to it, but he still finds a way to insert the blue. There's a filter in this. So once again, add this to the list of films uh, bluer than. <laughs> oh, but just because you mentioned the beginning with the kind of post-apocalyptic view. Now, do you know much about the potential controversy with this movie with Harlan uh, Ellison? Let's talk about it. And before I say this, uh, two things. One, everybody go watch the... Uh, SF Debris uh, review of this. Once again, I always want to give that guy credit because I think he did a great job. Is that, and I also don't want to like repeat anything that he has said because he does research research better than I do. So although that's kind of he has to do that because he's living. Whereas this is just a you know an yeah. interest that we have. Hobby. Uh, absolutely, it is. And two is this film in 4K? Uh, I, I I don't know. I actually don't know. I know the sequel is. That's fair. And it's the sequel most certainly would be. And it got a lot of criticism for being like a very inferior, like a slap job kind of 4K disc. Ooh, that's not nice. Um, I'm currently looking for it and I don't see it. Interesting. You think Disney would convert? I wonder if Disney converted it to 4K when they uh, acquired the rights uh, from the Fox purchase. Which, by the way, I was looking for this on Disney Plus to watch it in HD, but it was not available. What is going on? Is it because of the MGM thing? I don't know. That's why I ended up watching my DVD because I was like, oh, I only I won't bother buying the the 4K disc. I'm sure it'll be on Disney Plus. And then I went to watch it today, and I was like, oh, well. <laughs> so they have all of Alien, all of Predator in there, but they have any of the other Terminator films. 
Uh, nope. And weirdly, Netflix has Terminator 2 still. So that's that's strange. What is going on? Is just is one on Amazon, the other's on Apple. What's what's going on here? At least at this point of July 12th, 23rd. Did I say 22nd before? Oops. July 23rd, so. uh, 2022. At 2038 uh, hours. Anyways, sorry. Uh, Mr. <laughs> one science fiction writer and hyperbolic um, emancipated person, Harlan Edison. Ellison, excuse me. Yes. Um, so from what I could tell, he never actually watched this. It was just someone that he knew happened to read the script when James Cameron was like shopping it around, which I'll talk about that in, in a little bit, which is very interesting. And uh, they they're like, hey, you know, the start of this sounds like it's really similar to the short story and Outer Limits episode that you wrote called Soldier and Har Harlan Ennison. Harlan Ellison got all, all upset, and I think there was threatening. He was threatening to sue, but I don't think he ever did. And that's why we get that weird acknowledgement at the end when it's like acknowledgement to the works of Harlan Ellison. Now, I do own all the episodes of The Outer Limits, the 60s series, and I did watch at least the first 20 minutes of that uh, Soldier episode. And I could see some vague visual similarities, and it does involve two soldiers from a future war getting shot back into the past in the 1960s so that also is a similarity but it didn't have like a robot terminator or anything like that it was more about government control and like brainwashing soldiers so so maybe a little bit of a different focus but i could definitely see the comparisons but i don't know if it's enough to sue so um <laughs> so maybe that's why he didn't but. yeah random random i i also am at the scene where you you know arnold's they're bare naked and First off, in the next scene with Bill Paxton, uh, you hmm. can't see his junk. Uh, but two, initially, yeah, you can see the sweat glands on his butt. At least in the version I'm watching. <laughs> um, there's, I mean, isn't there a lot of like similarly suspicious uh, plots? Whether it's in in fiction, like again, not every plot is is this, not every plot is the same, but every idea is, comes from somewhere else, and. Mm -hmm. You know what, what was oh, was it like? Well, well, how how is how is Gene Roddenberry's estate not suing Seth MacFarlane right now for the Orville? Well, I, I guess I'll also mention this, which I read, which kind of makes it a little bit worse for James Cameron. Is he was talking about on the set of this during some interviews? He was like, "Oh yeah, you know, I was, when I came up with this script, I was just like ripping off some old Outer Limits episodes and ripping off some old science fiction short stories I read." And so I think maybe the him using the term ripping off maybe got out there and pissed off Harlan Ellison even worse. <laughs> Triggered him. So that's, I, I knew, okay, I do remember that from when <laughs> S.S. Debris did his initial thought, not initial thoughts, but his background behind Terminator. So I guess, I wonder if that is true or not. I Whether he's being pedantic and just being, I don't know, sarcastic, I, I, I wouldn't believe that. But I, I it's obviously the... I'll say this, he was filming Piranha 2 in Rome, correct? Mm-hmm. And what happens? He's away from people. Well, he's there's a special feature on this that I was watching that kind of says it, but he he was felt, you know, a, isolated. I guess it was his first time, like, being out of the country, and so mm -hmm. in a different country as well, so he felt, like, you know, completely separated from humanity. So he's like, oh, okay, this is, like, even though there's humanity there, but whatever. I guess they just speak a different language, uh, which I guess makes sense. <laughs> but he's translated this to, like, Kyle Reese and 
I guess, Arnold's character, uh, or the Terminator, excuse me. And in that whole time he was there, he had a he had a fever, and so he had a fever dream. And what happens in a fever dream? Well, you start. It's the closest thing to your brain being on drugs, uh, without it actually being on drugs. So he saw this image of this metallic skull with red eyes and was completely spooked by it and was like I'm going to make a movie out of this <laughs> yep yeah that was his inspiration for his script and in the SF3 one did they talk about how he like sold the script and any of those details you know about there that? was a lot of like crap that was happening behind the scenes like it, like this movie was a miracle to be like released like all 80s films like any, any, any like, almost name any single like I I hate using the word iconic but name any single uh, recognizable um, film off the top of your head from the 80s it was most likely impossible to like be released because the behind the scenes was just terrible there's like a troubled production every single time yeah and I don't know if this one was super troubled necessarily but it did definitely had some, have some struggles getting to the screen and one of them being uh, when James Cameron wrote this script, he was actually living in his car. He was pretty <laughs> not in great shape after his one directorial effort just completely collapsing on him. And he ended up selling this script for $1 to his old friend Gail Ann Hurd with the promise that as long as he gets to direct it, she can take the $1 and, and she can you know deal with helping him find financing and stuff. But he was going to direct. That was his one request. So I guess he knew that even if this wasn't going to be like a great film, maybe it would help kind of set off his new career instead of just doing like set design and that kind of thing, which I think is interesting. I, I never heard that story until doing the research today. Sold it for one dollar. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, I know Ryan Pictures did not advertise the thing properly, which is why it's not sister series, but it's other the other series RoboCop was advertising a little more than this one was. Yeah, and this wasn't an in-house production by Orion. They just did distribution. And they only got the distribution deal with Orion because uh, Gail Ann Hurd knew some friends who worked on Roger Corman's stuff who are now working at Orion. And she kind of went up to them and like, hey, I, I need a favor. Like, could you potentially get them to give us a distribution deal? Because they were still trying to find funding. They just had a script. And they were like, okay, we'll give you distribution, but you have to find money elsewhere. And so she went off and she figured that out. But... Yes, that's kind of interesting. I don't think the second one's a Orion picture uh, deal. No, I think it's pure Fox on that one. I don't know if it's MGM. Yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, definitely an interesting story getting to the screen. And it's funny to think that this is such a low-budget film. I never really thought about it when I was a kid watching this. I think especially because the second one and the third one, which came out probably around the time that I saw it, maybe? Or at least was in, in kind of like... They were talking about a third one happening around when I saw it. Because I remember when the trailer came out for that third one on TV. Oh man, I got so excited. I was like, can we please go see the theater? Can we please go see the theater? My parents were like, nope, you're not seeing any movies in the theater. We're against the theater. <laughs> a recurring theme in this channel. But luckily that same year, they let me go see Jurassic Park 3. But they didn't let me go see Terminator. Oh, I was very well, upset. <laughs> you know, I guess terrible trilogies for, for that whole year. Yeah, probably two bad entries, yep, in, in a series. <laughs> Listen, Jean Grey's statement in Apocalypse works if you apply it to the 2000s and maybe the 2010s, not the <laughs> 1980s. 
Like what, was Planet of the Apes 3 terrible? I don't know, I'm asking. Oh, I love it, but I'm sure some people don't. It was a drastic tonal shift for uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. It didn't really make any sense with the, the end of the sequel. It's kind of a retcon, too. So I'm sure a lot of people didn't like it, but, but I love it. <laughs> but I also wanted to mention, uh, just because he's on screen right now, another Roger Corman connection is Dick Miller, the uh, the owner of the gun shop. Did you did you notice that guy at all or pay any attention to him? Who? Uh... Yeah, I at least noticed. I, I looked at him, and I was like, this guy looks like he's done stuff before. Like, he's a recognizable actor. And so, yeah, I'm going to ask, what's, uh, what's this guy's deal? <laughs> Not problem, but what's this guy's deal? Oh, he was a massive uh, figure in the Roger Corman catalog. He shows up all the time in bit parts like this. <laughs> he had a few starring roles back in the 50s, and then he just kind of just shows up in movies for a fun reference, which he did here because of yeah, uh, Corman's connection to Cameron. And he also showed up this same year in probably his most distinct role in Gremlins. Uh, Joe Dante, another Corman acolyte, directed that, and he loved Dick Miller, and so he gave him kind of a bigger role in that film, and I think that's the one that most people remember him from, as Mr. Futterman, the weirdo right-winger who's obsessed with, uh, you can't trust foreign technology, all these Japanese cars, you know, it's all for World War II, you know, they put the Japanese, they put gremlins in American planes, and now they're putting gremlins in, in Japanese imports to America, you just can't trust them. A very charming and lovable uh, right-wing uh, figure. <laughs> Which he really is charming and lovable, that's the funny part, because he wouldn't think so, considering he's, uh, yeah, displaying some <laughs> some old-school beliefs. And he also, during a certain scene, has a big uh, Richard Nixon picture uh, fully displayed right behind his head <laughs> in his house. So I'll tell you what kind of guy that is. But, <laughs> but Dick Miller, I love the guy. I'm always happy to see him, and I, yeah, I always like that he was in this film, too. This is probably the first one I ever saw him in. And then Gremlins probably not long after. Uh, tattoos on his hand, or his arms, are those real? Are those his actual tattoos, or just random tattoos they put on him? Oh, that I don't know. Um, I don't know if I remember if I remember him having tattoos, so... I think maybe most of the time I see him, he's a little more covered up, so... That's fair. But I did like that scene of just Arnold just blowing him away. There's like a kind of a, I like how casual Dick Miller is, and then Arnold's just, yeah, just so cold. And we get to see that stuffed uh, Canadian geese in the background. Yeah, we're going to get to that, especially in the tech noir scene where uh, she knocks over a can of Canadian dry. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Oh, man. Hey, that's that's the Blu-ray, by the way, not the DVD. Yeah, maybe my my, maybe my DVD is too blurry to see. I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what it is. Since we talked a little bit about the opening scene... What do you think about all the, uh, the kind of the miniatures of like we see the the tank going over the skulls and we get that cool shot of that, that kind of flying drone kind of ship thing? The hunter killer. Hunter killer. There you go. Yeah. What do you think about all that stuff? How do you think that holds up, especially since you saw in HD? It like it it still gets me. Like it's practicality over CGI. Obviously, practicality can only go so far because we only see it like from a two dimensional standpoint, but. The limits of that, I don't care. Like it's it's gorgeous. It's it makes me believe that this is a future uh, that is pretty much wiped out. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think the yeah definitely especially that first shot it really holds up. There's a scene later where we see like two 
people running through the the wreckage where there's like this big drone thing rolling through and killing some of that stuff looks a little bit more wonky but, but there is one shot with like rear projection i'm looking at it right now at 1904 where they're like uh hiding behind something as the thing rolls past them and the rear projection works and we'll definitely see cameron kind of holding on to that in in aliens to rear projection I feel like it was mainly just used in this low-budget stuff at this point. I feel like they were going to blue screen a little bit more in the middle of the 80s, but but he was holding on to it. But yeah, where do we go after that? Yeah, what's next? <laughs> um, oh, golly, good, good question. Uh, Sarah Connor, let's go with uh, the other... Uh, let's go with the first lead, uh, Sarah Connor, initially, for hmm. uh, what, what she's up to and uh, how she plays a part in the story. Uh, she is an everyday average person. Yeah, and that's something I wanted to mention too. Uh, so many people, when they talk about, you know, these big blockbuster franchises and uh, female representation, and even I've done this, and it's mainly because of the sequel, they talk about, oh, you want to talk about strong female characters and big blockbusters? Sarah Connor, Ripley, you know, the only two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we could go over to, you know, Alice and the character from Underworld. I mean, those are blockbusters in their way, but... <laughs> Do we have to? <laughs> no, we don't. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, uh, it's a Tomb Raider, you know, Angelina Jolie, and we can get into... That's a video game first. But still, it's a it's a big-budget movie franchise and a blockbuster. Uh, okay, you're... you're continue please but with this one uh, Sarah Connor really is not that strong female character she feels very much and that's not to say that she's not a, a good female character but she's just not like a masculine or at least like a powerful kind of fighter or anything like that in this one she just feels like a final girl out of any yeah Friday 13th or any sort of horror movie so that's kind of interesting to go back and, and reflect on that and and maybe maybe people should pay more attention to female representation in horror because i feel like this kind of character was super duper common at this point in the 80s and even into the late 70s you'd see a lot of these kind of characters in horror but maybe not in big budget blockbusters but but yeah i think she i don't i don't really know linda hamilton from a lot but i think she comes across fairly well here i think she's kind of charming and i think her relationship with kyle reese uh comes across as well as it could um, I think their romance just plays a little bit weird for me. I don't know if you feel the same way, but... I was going to ask that, so let's get into it. Uh, is it creepy, and is it stalkerish? <laughs> creepy, stalkerish, pathetic. <laughs> I mean, Oh my. <laughs> the guy... I, didn't, I didn't know about the pathetic part, but sure. Well, he tell, he's like, I'm in love with you. I've been in love with you for, like, many years. But the guy was in love with uh, a picture and stories of his his leader's mom can you really call that love is uh... it's complicated <laughs> it's uh it's quite i would say ugly but it's it's complicated um this is you having a crush on albert einstein and then you finally like tra travel back in time and be like yo I einstein you absolute stud of a person like let's make love here now yeah, it's so funny too that the the scene that he tells her that I'm in love with you is the scene that they end up having sex <laughs> instantly. And like yeah. after he dies, and she's doing the tapes, she's like, 
we loved each other in the in, in even that brief moment it was we, we we shared like love or something like that in a lifetime's worth of love or something like that yeah and on her part i, I at least in this movie it, it kind of changes well maybe it even changes at the end i don't know but it's kind of like they're just trauma bonded and maybe maybe they just need that release of you know just the kind of sexual release kind of escaping from the the horror of their situation for a bit so it's fine on her part but him and his like oh i've been in love with you for years kind of thing is just it plays a little creepy for me <laughs> i don't know but yeah whether it's st- i don't always use but is it stockholm syndrome i i mean i would like to know i would like to think that uh cameron had I know Gail Ann Hurd had some tips in her was credited as like part of the script it said the script writing was, was with Gail Ann Hurd I don't know if she did this part or how much she had in, input in but like I'd like to imagine that she had some stuff to do and hopefully helped tighten Sarah's character up a little bit um actually she didn't do much much at all uh, fair enough yeah what she did was kind of be like an in-between other producers for the the studios that they were using to make money or to get money i should say and they were like okay we have two things that we want that the producers wanted to insert into the movie either a robot companion to come with kyle reese a robot dog they wanted canine from doctor who basically they were like oh we, we need something that's gonna the audience can have an into so either we want a robot dog or we want a romance with Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor. And Galen Hurd kind of relayed that to him. And he was like, okay, and the two of them kind of developed that together. And so she got a writing credit, but James James Cameron said that she didn't write a word of the script. She just helped him kind of flesh out that concept. So Jeez, sounds uh sounds ruthless almost. <laughs> Well, James Cameron. I mean, he's a ruthless. He's a ruthless guy. We'll we'll discover that as we go on. Oh yeah, no, there's a there's a theme <laughs> on that, but it's only because like both him and Galan were married for a brief time. Oh wow, yeah, maybe the quote came from later. Maybe it's like fuck that, fuck that chick. Jeez, <laughs> she didn't write a word wow. in my script. <laughs> I don't Yikes. know. Yeah, ruthless. Um, uh, I love the fact that she has a pet iguana. That's uh, that's freaking awesome. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, and didn't they kind of make some joke that like that's because her her part her roommates like she's got a boyfriend and the boyfriend calls up and Sarah Connor answers and he's like oh like let me tell you about all the sexual things I want to do to you and don't they make some joke about poor Sarah Connor being kind of lonely and her date is her iguana kind of thing uh because like the, that that was the roommate's boyfriend that was calling and sounding stalkerish um, yeah <laughs> and then. As she's getting ready to go out in town and paint the walls red, or get painted red, she... The answering machine comes on and it's, you know, her boyfriend who has to cancel out. That's right, I've heard about that little part. Because I was writing notes when I was watching this. And then comes the the, the, the girlfriend, the, the roommate, excuse me, uh, saying like, oh, your pet iguana is, is your date for tonight. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm just gonna go out to a movie instead. On her, on her giant Vespa or whatever it is, her, her little scooter. Oh, I love that scooter. I thought that was a cute little bike. I like that. It's so, like, fat in comparison to all the scooters I see nowadays, but again, it's the 80s. Oh, and I, I think there was another writer credited who helped Cameron flesh out that whole police investigation aspect, if you can really call that fleshed out. 
that wasn't a part of his original script and I don't know if it was really needed um, I don't know how well that how that plays well, what do you think of that aspect yeah that's interesting because when I watched this like retrospective on the special features I was because he said nothing oh, what was it uh, it was with the he was talking about when like Schwarzenegger was uh, initially announced or was was casted and he said like nothing of the script changed I guess he was referring to with Arnold uh, so maybe I just took that as Oh, he literally meant like nothing of the script changed, other than like other stuff that changed outside of that. But I gotta say, like whoever helped them, like really fleshed out like at least Hendrickson's character and the, the not not police chief, uh, lead homicide investigator. Yeah, which I don't know. It's been so long since we've seen a uh, uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, but did you recognize him from from that movie? Well, now that you say that, that's hilarious, and I didn't realize he had that much gray hair in the span of two years. Yeah, they they probably aged him up to be like an admiral, but and I just recently saw that guy in an old black exploitation film. Oh, which one was it? Oh no, I can't remember. <laughs> Maybe it was Trouble Man. I've been watching a ton of black exploitation. He showed up at least twice. Marvin Gaye song. Uh, is that that guy's name? The, well, that's uh... technically an album. What am I talking about? Troubled Man. <laughs> oh, Trouble Man. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, there was a black exploitation film. And I was expecting actually Marvin Gaye's song to uh, accompany the film. You would think that, but apparently not. But no, I don't think it did. No, let me. I, 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 I'm curious. I want to quickly see if I can find what this was. Sorry. If you have something else, go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, it's just right on Connor. Um, is it believable that she transforms initially into uh, a one army woman? This is this. <laughs> If, listen, if Cap Evolution says that uh, Robocop is a or superhero origin story, then darn it, this is Sarah Connor's origin story. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, it's kind of like Mad Max, the first one. At, that too, yeah, sorry, that, 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 that too. Yeah, and that, that is another interesting aspect of people always raising up Sarah Connor as like this big blockbuster star. But if you really look at the Terminator franchise overall... She's really the only st only the star of these first two, and then everything else kind of moves over to just Arnold and whoever else they could drag in, really. <laughs> and not even Arnold, if you look at uh, stupid Terminator Salvation. Which, which uh, that was another question I was going to ask. Have you seen most of this franchise, or just the first two, or maybe just the first one? Everything... Actually, I still have not seen all of... I've seen clips, so I've probably seen like maybe 70% of... Rise of the Machines, but really I've seen this one, second one, seen the fourth one, I saw the fifth one, I did, I've seen neither the third or the sixth. Oh, okay. So so a, a fairly substantial amount. Yeah, I would say I'm a fan of the first two films. Salvation has something going for it, at least some of the designs. I'm not going to say I would agree that it's a part of the franchise, personally. Um, yeah. But that's just me. Genesis was complete fan fiction, and I don't know about Dark Fate. Yeah, that's what I wanted to mention about Dark Fate. Is in Dark Fate, Sarah Connor gets super jaded. I don't know if you mind if I spoil spoil some bit. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem right now. It's a three year old film. Um, I, I again, it's I, it's funny contrasting the scenes now as she's in the techno war, at least where I am, uh, and how like timid she is. I mean. Of course she was, because she's supposed to be the every person 
um, every day. She has she has problems. She has boyfriend problems. She has problems at work. Uh, she is very relatable, basically. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. here comes the out of ordinary uh, of this apparently this stalker that is killing these uh, other women who are named Sarah Connor. Interesting angle, I'll say that. But oh, I love that angle. <laughs> pr- proceed if you wish, unless you want to talk about that angle. Which then goes into the police investigation story. Oh, I just, I just love that the Terminator shows up. The first thing he does is just goes to a phone book. He's like, okay, where's all these Sarah Connors? I'll just kill any Sarah Connor I see. <laughs> like, oh, I think that's so funny. So, you know what? I'm just going to bring it up right now. Um, where people are like, why? The, the, the big, like, I guess, plot hole that anybody could say is like, well, how come the... Uh, how come the Terminator or the Skynet didn't send a Terminator all the way back to the Dawn of Man, or the or like as the first uh, unicellular organism became multicellular and like have it wipe itself out, uh, so that humanity doesn't exist, and then it's a paradox where like the Terminators don't exist, but like, well, that's the thing, yeah, they would they would cease to exist. Yeah, yeah exactly, and the or just the idea of like well why didn't they go to the grandmother of sarah connor why did they go like why sarah connor i was thinking that during this film because you know i i don't accept i mean i it's i guess it's a criticism but at the same time i'm like listen this right here like this whole movie was i think only works in the 80s i don't think it works any other time period i think it only works in the 80s and that's it um Especially with, like, the phone book. Um, I don't remember fully what my point was, but I know that this film only works in the 80s and no other time period. Yeah, that that, that could be fair. I mean, in, in terms of the phone book thing, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It would be so dated and out of place, especially if they made a movie now. I'm sure there's some people in the audience who would be like, phone book? Like, what is, what's that? Which is weird to think. But, <laughs> but in terms of the going back in time to wipe out humanity before it ever existed they they couldn't do that in terms of time travel in this movie it's very clear that i mean killing sarah connor is meant to just remove that one kind of element to the future yeah and they're it's close enough that it won't affect the development of skynet and of course yeah this was i i know cameron was probably thinking of this as well he's like well I gotta at least like make it plausible of like why it's at this point, and it's like the machines in the future are actually losing surprisingly. Uh, at least the resistance is is getting the the, uh, the upper hand on them. I think mm-hmm. Genesis sort of showed that aspect in, in, interestingly with CGI, but whatever. Um, and they were like, okay, well we gotta focus on this John Connor character. Let's do that. Let's 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 attack his mother, basically. It's the old like you know you go back in time grandfather paradox where you kill your grandfather and you end up erasing yourself from existence. Yeah, and that's the spoiler that I wanted to mention about um, Dark Fate. Going right back there. Let's. What are we, what are we going to say about that, sir? Well, yeah, I don't know how much of a spoiler it is because it happens within the first like three minutes of the movie. Um, we find out that, of course, it's a direct sequel only to uh, uh, Terminator 2. It ignores everything in between. Pulling one of those ones, eh? A lot of people are doing these nowadays. Anyway, go ahead. 
and it take it begins like a few years after T2, and a Terminator shows up out of nowhere, and fucking kills John Connor. Con John Connor. <laughs> and so then we, then another Terminator comes back to kill the new leader of the Resistance in the future, which is this this girl. Um, well maybe that's spoiling too much now. I. I've seen. I, I think I've watched the Red Letter Media review of it. Yeah. Either way, we get this this very jaded Sarah Connor, who even says this line where she says, "Huh, Skynet only wants to kill you because they want to kill your womb." And her whole point is, uh, they they don't actually care about women. They only care about us because we can reproduce these saviors that could stop them. And so it becomes like, yeah, they make like a weird jaded point about it. So do you think, in retrospect, that this movie is kind of weird that, oh, they're coming back to kill the mother of the Resistance, but not, like, kill the Resistance leader himself? Like, do you find that plot point strange? Uh, I mean, that's a good question. I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, you got me uh, You caught me off guard, you sly dog. You caught me <laughs> monologuing. Uh, well, I guess if we put the feminist filter in perspective over it, maybe it probably does seem pretty sexist. Uh, unless it works only in that. Yeah, there's. I'm looking at the. Sorry, I'm just looking at the uh, Technoir scene where she's sitting down. She just dropped a small little tiny bottle of Canada Dry Soda. I love that. Oh, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> um, apparently, they're popular in LA Technoir uh, clubs. <laughs> Yeah, especially ones uh, in Toronto. Yeah, that's the most interesting part. I really will. I, I kind of hope that there is a club in Toronto called Technoir. Probably not, but that is just kind of cool. Anyway, maybe there was back then. Maybe there was back then. I don't know. I feel like it's probably a fake one, but um, <laughs> uh, sorry, your point. Um, well, I think maybe not to obviously give Jimmy here a, a pass or anything like that, but I, I feel like because it's Kyle Reese and he's from the future or at least they didn't know about because because she has those tapes and those tapes are probably in a secret place Skynet couldn't get a hold of them so maybe they never knew who they didn't know who the father was so they had to go for the mother that's my best thing I that's my best guess right there hmm. <laughs> sorry if it seems pretty flat I'm just going I'm just going with that no, I was just trying to think of my own because I now that I posed the question to you, I I was just trying to think, what are my thoughts on it? Yeah, because it does, especially in reflection of that line from Terminator Dark Fate, it did make me go back and watch this and be like, oh yeah, that is a little. I could see what how could someone could look at that and think that's a a problematic plot point in some ways, but then you could also look at it at the aspect of she raised this person to be the future leader. But then it becomes another issue because the, the the strange paradox in this film is that she's fully aware of what the future is going to be and raise her child in preparation for it. So then it's kind of like, well, did she do that in the first place? But did this always happen this way? It, it becomes, yeah, a little bit of a, a conundrum. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, I also want to like put my foot down and say, let's not look at what the future sequels came up with. Let's yes. just consider this as a closed movie. People wanted a sequel to this. I, I get that, but I don't want future sequels. Even if some like you know what they're pointing out is right, it's like, yeah, 
but how did that future sequel come about because of this film? Well, there, there's even that little ending bit where um, she's like, oh, a storm's coming. She's like talking to John about her dad. Or about her, his dad, I should say. His dad, yeah. And so it seems clear that she's, you know, aware of what's coming and is, is going to try to prepare for it. So I think they set up what, what maybe John's future is going to be in this one. Well, I would say that she has every right to because at least with the ending and the stop motion robot, like, it's... It's like it, she's justified. As wrong as it is to like have the, you know, dictate and determine the kid's future, uh, which Terminator Two obviously Terminator Two goes into, uh, she's justified. After the whole, all the events of this movie. Well, now you're really getting into the sequels. <laughs> and that's probably well. I'm only getting in with the second sequel. But again, we sh- I gotta we gotta not break our rule here and just be like this film which is a good film. It does have some plot holes and probably looks bad. Now, I don't know if it looks like terrible and like well, sexist nowadays. I think it was No. I think it's progressive for its time. Um, obviously everything will always always look bad uh, from another century and or another uh, decade when you look back on things. Well, I'm curious in what way uh, progressive that a yeah no maybe I was wrong on that that a woman leader is gonna be that that Sarah Connor becomes this like woman leader almost but that's fair like it, it is interesting that because maybe she dies and he didn't thought you 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 do raise a good point now that you mentioned yeah and I, and I I personally don't see it as progressive or regressive necessarily maybe the plot point of you know oh we need to protect her because of her womb <laughs> maybe that is a little. A little old school but i don't think it's offensive or anything like that i and i do think that sarah connor herself as the lead kind of character here and uh i think she she stands up as a fine character i i got no complaints in that regard i was just curious about because that new movie kind of raised that that question i never really considered well that's another problem with postmodernism and why generation x is terrible um having to ask that question, even though it's probably a question meant to ask, it's like, okay, fair enough, but so does that mean we cancel this film? And I don't even think the, the new one was saying that, or anything like that. I, I think that that new one, I don't know, it was it was maybe a little, because it was so kind of girl power, the movie. <laughs> and and no, that's not to say that that's, that's like a negative towards the movie or anything like that. I think they were just looking at it from a very feminist lens all around. So... I think it's also what we're trying to, like, we're, again, projecting because Cameron is, I don't know, but he certainly was trying to push the bar of, I guess, female characters in a time when there wasn't many, like, female protagonists, especially in the next film he does. Yeah, and again, uh, when it comes to horror, uh, that that's never been an issue for, for the horror genre. Well, you can go back to even, like, the 50s and the 30s, in terms of female representation in horror, it's always been the best of any genre. I think, I think maybe people just like, uh, or maybe find it easier to relate with women being scared, because there's maybe more of a fragile element that they focus on. Like I feel like, especially with like male protagonists in horror movies, there's like an element of denial that they constantly push upon them, because like maybe society thinks that we don't want to see men in fear. So they're more willing to give those roles to women. So so in that way, it feels completely within the trends of the time to have her as this, this lead here. 
Yeah, this goes... <laughs> I didn't know we were going to go back to, like, you know, talking about, like, the whole idea behind horror and women itself. That's pretty cool. But, yeah, it's he, women are... in It is man's world, and the fact that men control the movies and men have the power here. Uh, they dictated that women are... And not just in film, but, like, women are the housewives. They are the timid, sweet, uh, innocence uh, personified um, people. And therefore, if we bring this pure entity of evil upon them, they will um, cower in fear and be uh, frozen uh, with terror. So this is, and that's probably what the 50s guys were thinking of. This here is like a person, this film is trying to build up this character to not be like that at the very end and survive. But again, yeah, it's really, you're right. This is a horror film. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll just just to stand up for again female representation in horror. Yeah, they always, almost always, they are the timid person until the third act, when they finally take charge and usually defeat the whatever villain is against them. Even though everyone around them has died, the the final girl is the one who's got the power enough to stand up for herself and overcome the villain. So, which they very much uh, epitomize that trope in this film as well. So. The question shouldn't be, is this a feminist film, like a progressive feminist film from the 80s, but is this a better written horror film with a female lead in it than the other films of its time? Mm, yeah, maybe better written, a better concept, uh, better performances, I think, all around. There we in go. a very iconic villain with uh, Arnold, just at the cusp of his career. We barely talked about him, but I think he was another... Well, that's because we were talking about Sarah. <laughs> Yeah, I think he was another defining trope that really helped elevate this movie. So, there's the answer, that this is a much more identifiable and well-written horror film than some of its peers. That's where we'll end on that with Sarah. Um, and let's go to The Terminator, as you brought that up. Yeah, The Terminator, the guy, yeah. I mean, he's awesome in this. I really do think he... There's so many iconic shots of him in this, even before his face gets all fucked up and he turns into monster face. Just him riding around in the... There's a shot with him riding on his bike with his little uh, submachine gun in his hand just over his shoulder. And just a, like a like a chest-to-head shot of him just driving. And for whatever reason, I find that shot super iconic. That just... He's got his sunglasses too and his pale face. He just looks like the embodiment of yeah, death coming after you. He wears his sunglasses at night. <laughs> yeah, shades of night, you know. Oh boy, and, and not to get into the sequels, but they always, they seem to like playing up the shades as if it's some sort of joke. I don't know if you've seen the joke that they play in that third film with it, but oh man. But either way. Again, let's, 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 let's um, again, yeah, this it's... is about Jimmy Cameron, not his, <laughs> the franchise that came after two. Sure, sure, that's uh, fair. Still impressive, though. Still absolutely impressive that um, all that came out from this, this first movie. Comics, yeah. video games, television show for crying out loud. Like, this is fascinating that this, this movie became a franchise. Yeah, that still is producing new installments up to this day, and it all started from this Roger Corman, a guy who got fired from directing... Or at least got basically kicked out of directing a Roger Corman film. 
and sold his script for one dollar and they're still producing that franchise up to this day and they've made like a two films that made one billion dollars each yeah it's pretty crazy it's funny how these things work out to his name so to this one so yeah um stealing from sf debris uh initially the terminator was going to be played by uh one oj simpson oh i forgot about that story oh my god yes and wasn't it that uh like right around the time when they were going to cast him like that's when like the murder stuff came out or maybe maybe yeah. that's not oh it is okay. no not 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 his murder but i think there was implications about um a black man preying upon a white woman i was like uh maybe not oh that's that's odd then hmm. i think it was either that or something else but no i don't think his murders had come because that wasn't until that was until the 90s wasn't it well that's i mean the trial went on for like a decade that's true so I can't remember when the, the murders happened. Either way, I'm pretty sure Cameron's other reason was he didn't want a recognizable face. Mm. That's fair. And That's fair. Yeah, like O.J. Simpson, I mean, again, I'm not super familiar with him and like his cultural importance. I love the uh, American Crime Stories, though. That was a cool series, little miniseries they did. But um, I just know that he was kind of like... How I, I don't even know what like analogy I could use for him, but he was, uh, I can't, how I don't even know. Uh, just he he was recognizable to everybody in America, if that makes sense. The what's that guy who Michael something, the guy who's on, uh, I don't I don't know that sportscaster Michael somebody. I, I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean first yeah his his big uh, his big football career. And then he had just a, a string of blockbusters that he would show up in with the disaster movies of the 70s. I see. He was in a ton of those disaster movies. So Yeah, you've been doing a retrospective on some of those, so you would certainly know, recognize his face. Yeah, I've seen him a lot. Yeah, and it's funny that people always call, like, Jaws, like, they call that kind of the first blockbuster. And in some ways it was in terms of distribution, but those those disaster movies, they were turning them out in a way that feels like a blockbuster kind of uh, machine. And those predated Jaws in their, their ways, so. so it's kind of interesting. But but anyway, that's a side trail, sorry. Nope, that's, no, that's, that, that's probably fair. That was that was just the initial casting that I re- remember finding interesting when SF read is behind the scenes of Terminator uh, 1. And I don't remember how Arnold got cast, but I guess I'll probably mention that Linda Hamilton did an amazing job as Sarah. I probably should say that. She did a wonderful job. I, I believe mm-hmm. her would be like this, this like out, out of what is it? Uh, unsure of herself and uh, cast out of the normal world. I, I believe that on her. Um, but yeah, I, I forget how Arnold got cast, but perfect casting. Like absolutely, like perfect casting for this. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting we, that Lance Lance Henriksen was originally thought of to be the Terminator, and they were going to go with more like an unassuming guy. But I don't know if they saw like a film with Arnold in it, or maybe he came in and read. But once they saw him, they were like, "Oh no, this kind of almost cartoonish 
kind of masculine image definitely is what we want as our kind of embodiment of this machine. Yeah, um, I don't remember if Cameron said it was that. I think apparently Cameron does some of his own drawings and paintings of uh, yep. was it concepts of the film, and apparently one of them looked like Arnold itself. Oh, cool. Um, I don't know if it was because of Conan, by the way, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was something. There's an interesting note on Conan for this. So uh, they, they'd started shooting, and we're a few weeks in, and then old hackmeister himself, Dino De Laurentiis... Oh, no. He was like, okay, I want to make a sequel to Conan. I've got this written into Arnold's uh, contract that he like has to give up whatever he's doing to make time for me. And so they had to stall production for nine months. That was it. Okay, I remember that part. Yeah, actually, that was that was in the making of Aliens. Yeah, Dylan Heard mentioned that. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I that's. That. It was in between then when the studio was, uh, or Walter Hill and David Geiler. I think it was David. Or uh, they met up with yeah James Cameron. They're like, oh, you're producing this film. We're looking for someone to make our sequel. Like we heard you got some ideas for us, and yeah, and they signed the deal before even f- finished shooting this. So that's interesting. Um, but yeah, it was during the uh, production on Conan. <laughs> um, I guess uh, Arnold was being interviewed by someone. He was he was talk- talking trash about this movie. He's like, "Oh, I'm working with some some shitty B movie," and like, "Yeah, I'll be done that in a few weeks." And he was like, "Yeah, just completely low down on the movie," and he thought it was crap until uh, he he actually saw the first. Uh, I think he said the first 20 minutes he, he turned around and was like, oh crap, this is amazing. Yeah, no, he did. He, I think that's what they mentioned when they did the interview for the special features, which was made in 92, by the way. Um, so pretty much, I think, on the cusp of releasing Terminator 2. Um, but he was like, yeah, no, I saw like the first cut of the film or whatever it was, the first dailies. And oh, it was Cameron, but I saw some of the stuff and I was like, oh, this actually works. Holy smokes. I'm making something good here. And I am glad because I don't know... I would love to see like a what if or a, a uh, like an original script of like, or at least an alternate scenario of a graphic novel where it's Lance Hendrickson as the Everyman Terminator, <laughs> which is what like I said before Robert Patrick would have been uh, yeah. later on. So it would have been cool to see how that would have worked. Yeah, and, and like like you said, we we basically got it with, in the sequel. Cameron kind of returned to that idea, so. So we'll see how that works out once we uh, we get to that one. But. <laughs> um, menacing the score also helps. Uh, if it wasn't for the score, I yeah, it'd be a different film. Uh, it really would be. Uh, it does a very maybe the fact that he is uh, not like English is not his first language. Prob- I think it mm-hmm. also demonstrates his acting ability uh, of like physically acting. If that makes sense. Yeah, he has a great physical presence. He, he, like, towers over him, over every other character. Even if he's not necessarily taller than them, just like his presence is. And, yeah, just, he's got such a creepy look in this. Especially with the no eyebrows, like we see for a little while. Something about that just looks really, just inhuman. I found it very weird that, like, his eyebrows burn after, like, the first confrontation with Reese and Connor. But, like, his hair still remains there. It's, it's interesting. And his hair looks funny in this at times. It almost looks like, I don't know, like a wig or something. And there's that scene where, like, his face is all fucked up and the guy, like, a janitor comes in and he's like, oh, is there a dead cat in there? Some of that, like, deterioration 
or like when he like repairs his eye all that stuff I think is uh, is super cool too I mean the effects are really well done and it was Stan Winston that did the effects on this one I always forget about that for whatever reason oh yeah no this was their first I don't know interaction but like this is the, at least the first time in a major motion picture between the two of them working together they probably obviously knew each other before I don't know I have, I have no idea I don't know <laughs> if Winston's an old uh, Cormac uh, uh, guy I, I have no idea yeah, I don't know if Sam Winston did much work with Corman. I know he worked in a bunch of cheap crap for a long time, but <laughs> well, he—I'm surprised he did not get hired at um, Lucas or Lucas Blatu, Lucas Arts or uh, Industrial Light and Magic because the stuff he does, man, rivals them. Yeah, he does some really great work here, and you also mentioned uh, the score. Yeah, this is my favorite of the uh, the scores in the, the Terminator franchise. And this is actually one that I just listen to every now and again when I'm writing. I just pop this one on. So I've heard this one a lot. Haunting. Yeah, but it's really good. And I even like the kind of silly, like the love version of the theme that we get during the sex scene. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's 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 pure 80s right there. I, I love it. Yeah, for whatever reason, I find it kind of corny during the actual scene, but I like it in, uh, on its own when listening to it. But I did want to mention also the little bit with the therapist character. <laughs> who looks like my uncle for some reason he, look, looking back like, oh, really? this guy hmm. looks like my uncle anyway good continue yeah it's, it's it's funny that this character and I know we're going into sequels again but they bring this guy back a, a few times and I always wondered why like this this therapist scene he always seemed like a little bit of an asshole but he never really stood out to me I always wondered why what about this character kind of caught for them that they would bring him back I think at least uh, not to go into it, but I think in the sequel that was just because um, they want us. He's the contrarian. He's the guy that doesn't believe it all. He doesn't even like end up in the in the big firefight inside the police station. But they wanted to give him like a oh, see, he's actually going to experience a Terminator for the first time. Hmm. So it's more like just a joke. It was really just a joke. Oh, okay. And so if they want, they, they, they didn't have to, but they were like, yeah, it's, well, why not? Let's bring him back. And they brought him back, and it was a pretty cool bit. At least I thought it was a cool bit. Yeah, I, yeah, it works, yeah. I just wondered why they thought that, why they decided to do it. And, and especially once we get to the third film, they bring him back there, and it's like, what, what are we doing here? Oh, I didn't even know that, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but since you brought up the shootout in the police station, I thought that bit was, was really well done and adds a lot of production to the movie. It feels like a big uh, sequence. See, I don't know whether or not there was an initial shootout in the police station, and then like the the writer who came in, the ghostwrite that scene, like gave some of these cops personality. Like, at least like Henderson and um, whatever his name is from Two uh, or Star Trek Two. I I don't know if he get. I like Henderson's character. Just, there's enough character there to like give me something. And I, I, I even like, I like both of them. I, they at least seem recognizable to me. I mean, okay, I know they're cops, so you hate them initially, but like, I don't know, there's another <laughs> character there that's pretty cool. They have some, there's some, there is some funny humor in here, by the way. There's some, there's fu funny gags. Whatever comes out of the leading homicide investigator's mouth is pretty funny. Like, Hendrickson is, is telling him all his stuff. Not that he doesn't know already, but he, he's like, you know, I have these, I, I can read with these things, referring to his glasses. It's just, it's great. Yeah, and maybe that's the value of having them there. They do add some some charm to the movie 
A little bit of lightness. Yeah, brief as it is, uh, making yeah. light of even this grim part of, like, the Terminator violently shooting this, like, Sarah Connor. Uh, repeatedly, by the way, like, like opening up on her. Especially the scene, like, uh, when she kills, or when he kills uh, his girlfriend. Or her, sorry, girlfriend. Her roommate, excuse me. Um, like, he's remorseless. Yeah, that really does feel like a slasher scene. When, like, the girlfriend's walking around with, like, her headphones on, making a little snack, and the boyfriend gets brutally murdered in there. Like, yeah, just that scene itself felt, like, straight out of any slasher. And then when he comes through the doorway, too, with, like, a little jump scare, that completely just felt like a slasher moment. So. Police station scene, just incredible. Um brings I'll be back into the phrase uh, into the cultural zeitgeist um, it's a wonderful scene like I really like it I also enjoy the techno art scene it's almost like a um, like this movie is also a chase movie um, I mm. guess that's you could also say that's what a slasher film is but not necessarily because like if you think of the first Friday the 13th yeah. film that's only in in camp uh, Crystal Lake excuse me um this is like all around Los, the Los Angeles area. Ooh, thank you for mentioning that there. I wanted to mention, actually, I screwed up earlier when I said this was shot mostly in Toronto. It was shot in LA. <laughs> there, I must there, have just misread something. Yeah, there was there were some bits that so I got I got it wrong that it was also shot in LA. It got it was shot both in LA and in uh, whatever it's called in, in in Toronto. Yeah, I think maybe a few bits, but yeah, mostly. I don't know why I got that mixed up my my notes here, but. Scratch that from the record. Scratch it. Uh, reverse it. Whatever uh, Willy Wonka says. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I do think the police station bit yeah, is one of the big standout sequences. And then probably the big chase at the end is the, the other really big standout kind of action piece. And I do think James Cameron right away kind of establishes that he's definitely someone who has a good grasp on action. And maybe that's why he went more into that side of the career rather than getting stuck in like a horror kind of well maybe producers just saw that yeah this kid has a lot of a lot of attention to action it is interesting to say actually he, he was rather young when he started his kind of journey into film I think at I think he was maybe 30 when he made this but when he saw Star Wars he was uh, 23 and he kind of quit his, his job at the time and started pursuing film so so that, that, I always kind of think it's interesting to see what people's ages were when they were making this stuff. Yeah, I I don't know... Nobody's ever said, like, where this, like, comes from, but, like, I want to know where he got this, like, what his influences for action were, by the way. Because this is not anything like... I don't know, I don't know what you would... I guess it's a, I don't know if it's a James Cameron style, but, like... I've obviously never seen, like, a fight scene with... Like, a fight scene, but, like, a hand-to-hand -hand combat scene with him. Uh, or him do a, not that it matters really, but maybe in Avatar there was some of that stuff. But yeah, this the action in this is like I again you can see everything. There, I like the initial setup in the police station by the way with uh, with this with the psychiatrist and uh, Kyle Reese there, and the scenes with um, the two policemen initially or the homicide investigators initially. Um, kind of show like the geometry and space of where the like the hallways are almost kind of like in a video game um and then there's mm -hmm. this, and then later on we 
you never you don't realize like oh there's gonna be this big action scene inside this police station. So it's very subtle with what he does, and he doesn't even do like obvious shots of like oh I'm setting up for something. No, you don't really do that. Yeah, the the violence in the police station does feel really abrupt. Yeah, even his I'll I'll be back line, and then he just immediately comes in and just yeah starts wiping everybody out. Yeah. Yeah, you think like you you should go to like the the. Uh, the secretary or whatever he is, the front, the front desk guy, and he's just, you know, he's just doing paperwork, <laughs> something accurate to the police, actually, for once, and you expect the scene to change, like, why are we on this shot, and all of a sudden, the car comes in through, it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> so again, for, like, audiences in the, in the, in the 80s, like, yeah, it probably just would have come out of nowhere. Yeah, I will say, actually, you, you mentioning where, like, his influence for action come from. I never really thought about it until now, but I could see him maybe being influenced by some of the more violent westerns of the 60s. Like, they had a lot of that quick-cut gun violence kind of thing and an emphasis on, like, squibs. So maybe maybe he was influenced from some of that stuff. Yes. But yeah, a lot of the more violent action films of the, the 80s, I think, from the later period. Yeah, this is not, this is not like, Assault on Priest and 13. And I'm just only comparing that to the scene just because, you know, that's set in a police station. This is there. Um, this is a lot more violent than that film, surprisingly, even though... I, isn't that film rated R? Yep, yep. I, I think there's more blood in this than that one. I don't know. I'm not I'm not trying to compare ones better, but I, I just... <laughs> comparing, oh, yeah. like, how, like, Carpenter does action in comparison to Cameron, but I think Cameron's a lot more of an action guy than Cameron is. Yeah, Carpenter's more of a horror director. It's funny as well, like, looking, comparing this to, like, um, the sh I was about to say The Shape, but yeah, Halloween. Yeah, and, um, I think James Cameron did say that he was influenced by, uh, Michael Myers with the Terminator. He just wanted to action him up, but having this kind of expressionless villain stalking, uh, yeah, a young, kind of innocent girl was also an influence for him, so... See, why is, why is Carpenter not coming and suing Cameron's rear? <laughs> That's fair. Maybe Harlan, maybe Harlan Ellison was... Uh, I find his name hard to say, by the way. I, you want to say Edison? It's, it's Ellison. Yeah. I always stumble over it every time I say it. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a basket case, but he has points. <laughs> yeah, in that little episode of Outer Limits, the, the 20 minutes or so that I watched, I was like, this seems like a cool episode. I wish I... There's so much of that series I still need to watch. I don't know why I've been so lazy with it. Probably only seen a dozen. I bought the set like three years ago. That's <laughs> eh, you know you'll, you'll get unless you die like you know tomorrow you'll you'll watch it eventually. Damn, damn, fingers crossed. <laughs> I can't tell whether you want to die or you don't want to die. Yeah, I'll part, keep part living. All, I'll keep know. living for a while. <laughs> unless you get sent back in time. Unless the Terminator comes and you get sent back and you. Need to have a protector, which is Kyle Reese. There we go, Kyle Reese. Yep, Michael Bean, the first uh, collaboration with Cameron. Boy, he did a good job with this. I, at least I, when I watched it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Michael Bean is uh, very much an underrated actor. I wish that oh, he had yeah. a bigger career. Oh, this is a guy... I. Do you think he could have played, like, Spider-Man? Not in the Cameron script, but I mean, like... Or the Cameron film, but like, could he have played? Could you see him as Peter Parker? I can't, just because it would have had to have come out around the same time when he was maybe still young enough to play that role. That's yeah, but I'm, 
and yeah. I can't begin to imagine what a 1983 Spider-Man movie would have been like. I just can't even picture it. <laughs> Could you picture him being an adult Spider-Man? How about that? Uh, like later years, like in the 30s. Yeah, could be. Yeah, later years. Like yeah, yeah, so yeah, 30s. Yeah, whatever Bean is as in in this or in in the 90s. Uh, can you imagine him? Because I probably could. Like, yeah, that I was the whole idea that, that people were just not people, but like there's that rumor back in the 90s when he, that Spider-Man film was gonna happen. It was like, oh yeah, Michael Bean's gonna be like the villain or the Spider-Man himself. Mm-hmm. A villain I could see. I don't know which villain he would play. Maybe Electro for some reason. Huh, Electro. That, that's that's an interesting one. I don't know. I, I don't know if I can fully see it. Yeah, maybe I'm just crazy or something like that. Maybe I'm just thinking of like those that Spider-Man movie thing. Maybe we'll do it at some point. But like, uh, yeah, this film. Sorry. Um, the scene. I think one of his best scenes is in the interrogation uh, hmm. office with uh, the psychiatrist, and he's like probing him for like lunacy. I just love, like, and especially the recording after the fact when he's, like, looks at the camera and kind of breaks down of, like, it's, you can't kill this thing, it's impossible, it's gonna come here, and he kind of, he does predict it, and you wouldn't think it was, but, like, no, he's, he's right the whole time, you're like, man, this guy, this guy needs a hug. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but he, he's you can definitely feel the uh, the scars of his uh, his previous life. Like he's he has straight up PTSD. So, and whether yeah. or not that's a whole argument of like, well, so he's shell shocked. That means his like his his romance with a picture and a woman yes. from the past is <laughs> it's more excusable. Somebody <laughs> could just say, well, maybe it's excused because of that. He has PTSD, so he's not really thinking straight. And he's also in a post apocalyptic <laughs> world where society is different than ours today. Mm-hmm. You can still read it many different ways, of course, but there is that aspect of, like, again, he, and, and I do wonder, like, I, I always had this in my mind of, like, what would, if, if Kyle Reese didn't die, like, what would, what would his life be like? Yeah, would he, I guess he would have taken over the role of training uh, John. Yeah, yeah, and would he also have to, you know, given that he's from the future, would he have to go find himself or stay away from himself. The whole Back to the Future Part Two uh, scenario of like you can't meet your future self or past self, or else you're gonna universe goes boom. Yeah, that's weird to think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, I forgot to mention uh, in the police police uh, fight scene, uh, police station scene. I forgot that it was like an hour in. I thought it was sooner in the in the film. I was mm. very surprised that it wasn't. Oh, and I also wanted to mention, uh, I love that with that first scene of Kyle and, uh, and Sarah in the car, when he's just giving the kind of the backstory of what the world was and explaining it to her. I love that they do that during an action scene, during a car chase. They just kind of knock the ex- exposition out right there. Don't have to slow down for it, just, just keep moving. I thought that was a really great uh, command of storytelling for, for Cameron. Yeah, there's another cool bit where when he was next to the construction site with all the construction vehicles, and we see like one of the caterpillars uh, with mm. their treads walking or going by, and it then cuts to uh, the future of a hunter-killer robot on the ground. That was great. That was a great transition. By the way, that scene always yeah. makes me look at construction vehicles differently. 
<laughs> it always it always every time I look at a construction vehicle, I always think back to that scene. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. But uh, yeah, where else do we have to go here? Are we approaching the? Uh, I got some gags I want to point out. We are not towards the end. I think I still want to talk about some stuff, but like. I want to talk about some gags. At least three sure. that I found. No, not gags, but some interesting stuff in editing-wise. Um, in the cop car that Arnold acquisitions uh, <laughs> initially, um, there on the side there it said, I think, <laughs> our call to serve and protect, and then it like mm -hmm. changes and it says dedicated to serve. I'm like, what the heck <laughs> happened there? Continuity problem there. Yeah, and it looked like like a sticker was stuck on. It didn't even look like it was. It looked like both actually. It both looked like they were stickers. Yeah, it didn't look like it could withstand any sort of weather issues. I was like, oh no, there's some cheapness in the production right there. <laughs> um. Second of all, I want to say that. Oh yeah, the when when Arnold's there cutting his eye out, um, you actually can't see the. There is no blade on the um on the syringe. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, that's interesting. Or X-Acto knife, actually, now that I think about it. It's on a syringe, it's an X-Acto knife. But they literally take the exact... You can literally see it's not there. I'm like, I mean, of course, smart. But, like, yeah, I was like, wow, I'm surprised by that. That is funny. <laughs> this is also weird. This is not a gag, but... I'm still watching the movie, and I haven't really thought of other gags. But I've got to say, I'm impressed that... Other than the blue filter, I'm impressed that almost all the costumes and designs of the robots do not um, come over to aliens. Like none of the like none of the, the the laser rifle weapons show up in that. Uh, like there's no purple laser beams in that one. It's it's very very interesting that it happens here uh, instead of in in aliens, which is interesting to me at least. Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't really think about that. Yeah. Like, it's, they're both separated enough. I'm, I'm impressed by that. And even then, like, Aliens doesn't take much influence from the first film, other than, like, the creature design. But even then, they, like, change it up a bit. Like, everything else in Hadley's Hope is... And the, the drop shifts and all that stuff is just different. So I'm, I'm, I'm just impressed by that. Yeah, and maybe after this recording, we can discuss which version of uh, Aliens we're going to watch for the... Uh... <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I mean... One can watch both, but that's again, that's, that's for another. That's, that's not for this one. Yes. <laughs> Sorry if this pilot retrospective is kind of talking about everything here. Yeah, and and that's I feel like that's natural for these kind of things because it is a career retrospective, beginning with this film. Um. Yeah, that's true. So I'm on the tunnel sequence now. You probably passed it. Um. There's a lot of quick cuts, but it works somehow. I don't know why. I think it's just the the, the all the, the the lighting and the and the fact that we entered the scene with that other Terminator, which I guess is a, I think it's another T eight hundred. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a cool scene. Yeah. I I, I oh and yeah, the freaking you see the eyes like the the face, uh, I guess either melts off and then it's just like darkness and the eyes are there, creepy as all heck. Mm-hmm. And even seeing, like, the little kids in there, like, they're all destitute, that's that's pretty sad. I love the fact that we just show, like, Cameron shows us, like, you know, the future, and we see uh, kids. Uh, I mean, the skeletons wall is, is, is crazy. Um, yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm impressed how humanity is able to, like, 
Yeah. Again, I think the sequel kind of talks more about like how they were able to like, at least defend against these machines. Yeah, they definitely you know, get more into that and uh, salvation, of course. But and I did think it was interesting that it was twenty twenty nine. Like that's not uh, <laughs> maybe they should have put a little further in the future because that's coming pretty soon for us. Well, again, it was forty. Uh, yeah, yeah, forty yeah, ish years in the future, so. Yeah, I just always think it's funny that uh, these science fiction writers always try to make it relatively soon. Yeah. And then it ends up being a little bit too soon. <laughs> or it's too soon and the uh, technology um, spike is absurd. Like from, from, from 1982 and Blade Runner, 2029 in that future of what Los Angeles looks like is insane. Like that just makes no sense at all. Well, it's, it's actually funny if you think about it, because in some ways, I feel like our actual technology progression has far surpassed a lot of these visions of what it could be. Just their their vision of what the technology was in some ways more fantastical and in some ways more limited. Both. I mean, nobody yeah. expected the internet. That's the biggest thing. Nobody expected the internet to exist. Yeah. So. And it's, I mean, we have to remember we're living in the future. I mean, I live in a house where I come inside and I say, hey, Google, turn on the lights. And then the lights turn on. You know, I could tell Google to turn on the TV, tell them what show to watch or what music I want to listen to, you know. <laughs> we have Skynet. And again, that's more in the in the second one, so we won't go into that as much because mm. they, they mentioned it briefly as it, it's, it, it is almost... A, he almost predicts the internet in a way that it is like it's a defense program. So it's a it's a computer program. Yeah, I guess well, yeah, we'll save we'll save some of that. And I'm I'm even gonna save some of my Michael Bean praise until we get to uh, one of the later films because yeah, there's a lot about that guy's career I'd love to talk about, but maybe I'll save it since we're gonna see him again a couple times. Yeah, please do. We'll, 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 we're not gonna, yeah, we are not gonna miss him anytime soon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so if it's limited here, it's just like yeah, no, absolute praise there. Uh, oh, by the way, this uh, movie is sponsored by Nike. <laughs> oh yeah, I just saw a few shots of some Nike shoes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the shoes that he's wearing as well, he's he's repping. They're also Airs, I believe. I don't know if they're Air Jordan. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I I know they're, um, yeah, they're they're Airs. Um, and I think isn't Ripley's also, or is they are they Reeboks? I don't remember now. I don't remember either. That's for another one, though. Oh, but speaking of kind of, uh, as I mentioned earlier, how James Cameron kind of holds on to a rear projection, another kind of old-school technique that he uses quite a bit in this movie is speeding up the frame rate. We see that a lot during the car chases. We see it during some of the model work. Did you find that pretty noticeable, or did you think it blended well enough? Not just that, but he speeds up, and he slows down. Mm. Obviously, his slow motion is good because it's focusing on moments of not of. Okay, when I say action, I mean it's focusing on moments of like um, a buildup. Almost, does that make sense? Yeah. Where was the slow motion? I'm I'm curious. Uh, so initially, when uh, what is it? As as the Terminator is approaching Sarah in. Technoir, oh yeah, and we see Reese get his shotgun out and start moving people. That's like where the slow motion. So that that works because yeah. we're seeing everything, and it's not very kinetic. Like, no, mm -hmm. 
the dancers of the on the dance floor are moving. That's fine, but um, it's not. You know what I mean, right? Like I don't know. I don't know yep. how to describe it, but like the action is not Matrix action or whatever modern day stuff does with its like stupid slow motion. Yeah, this isn't uh, Resident Evil Apocalypse. There we go. Where it's slowing down to be like we're so cool. <laughs> This one, it was slowing down to build the suspense. Oh, is yep. the Terminator going to get her? Yep. Yeah. That's exactly it. Uh, the speed-up shots, I also noticed. I, I, I definitely did. It made it a little kinetic. I mean, it, they, did, they did that in Mad Max as well. Yeah, a little less obvious. <laughs> okay, so they did have seven pipe bombs, by the way. Um, I counted uh -huh. how many pipe bombs they had by the end of it, and I only saw six initially. And I was like, so there were seven. I was like, oh, okay. That confirmed it. <laughs> Yeah, what a waste, by the way. He throws all those, does next to no damage. Just just maybe maybe now's not the time to throw them. But Yeah, it wasn't like he had any ranged like he, Whatever, like we could I don't want to couch quarterback or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. But I did think it was comical. He just kept throwing them and, and then it would explode like ages away. Like maybe just trim off that maybe just fold that wick in two. Or fold that little uh, whatever those are called. Yeah, it is wick. Yeah, maybe you don't need as much length if it's clearly missing him by... Or is it like the fuse? By a lot. <laughs> fuse, thank you, yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. Just fold the fuse. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I like how normal this whole thing starts. I think I said that before, but I just like how mm -hmm. there's all these people in the beginning. And then as, you know, the chase and the terror progresses, like, we only get, you know, the love scene. We get the, 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 the consummated scene between the two of them. Ah uh, yes, do we want to talk about that scene, the uh, the kind of uh, their little beginning of their softer moments begins with them building those bombs, and then and then yeah, it is it basically he tells her that he loves her, and then almost immediately they go into the sex scene, or yeah, they they still talk. I was wondering in this scene of like, are we actually trying to discuss like Kyle Reese's character, not break him down or anything like that, but are we trying to explore these two as characters or not? Yeah, and. and... And I remember when I was younger, I just thought of that as, oh, okay, this is... When I when I learned that it was a low-budget film, like maybe in my teen years, my later teen years, I was like, oh, that's just a bit of TNA. You know, they wanted to uh, fit in with the slashers of the day, so they threw in some boobs in there. What's funny is that we see two male rears, but we never see her rear, which is funny. I mean, we only see yeah, we only see her breasts, but that's... Yeah, that's, that's, that's I, I found that interesting. Yeah, but it does it does make sense that the scene would be there. The yeah the 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 consummation scene and the uh, insemination of uh, is that the word I should use for I don't know what, what is it called for for the uh, yeah I'm not sure conception conception thank you yes conception of of John Con uh, John Connor so it's it's useful to be in there but I don't know just the 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 kind of corny music even though I love it on its own it feels corny in that context and. Just like the squeezing of the hand to uh, symbolize the building. It was a little comical. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of which, by the way, that's another thing. Uh, as Eric pointed out from Geek Evolution, is that James Cameron has a thing for hands. So let's... Oh, interesting. Let's mm. keep that in mind, by the way. Let's, let's, let's always watch that when it comes to the interaction between hands. As that's a big symbolic thing in, well, in not just in fiction, but also in nonfiction. Uh, you know, how we greet each other. Fist bumps, handshakes, high fives, whatever you want to call it, hand signals. 
You're the, uh, the climax, we could say, of their sex scene. They're squeezing the hands harder and harder, and then they release, and then it, like, fades away. <laughs> I was like, oh, this feels a little corny. Oh, boy. But, <laughs> but I suppose it was, uh, I suppose it was appropriate, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if, I, I don't know if that was because it was a low-budget film, or, again, because of those studio execs demanding this to happen. Yeah, and we'll see. I, I don't feel like James Cameron really has nudity in his films, generally. I mean, Titanic has some. But otherwise, uh, Aliens has those uh, pictures of, I guess, porn stars. But hey yo, I don't know about anything else. And Avatar has the uh, the blue, the CGI fake uh, breasts going on. But <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But yeah, he usually pulls away from that stuff. So it is interesting that this first first film. Yeah. I need to come into that. Oh yeah, slow motion right when the hands release. <laughs> Yeah. Um, did you want to move to kind of the climax bit, or was there still more stuff? Uh, let's see. What's your least favorite moment in this? Hmm. Least favorite moment. If there, unless you've already brought it up. I don't know if I necessarily have one. I I think mostly this movie runs like a well-oiled machine. I think it all. I think it's all necessary. Even if I do feel like that sex scene is a little corny. <laughs> Especially the hand-holding and the hand-releasing to the, the fade-out. I think that's such a piece of the 80s. You couldn't find that. Even to the 90s, they wouldn't pull something like that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but otherwise, otherwise, I think it's a pretty pretty damn well-functioning uh, movie. So, Yeah, I mean, even the sex scene has a reason to be there. Yep, absolutely. And, and I, I've got to complain, even... They keep doing these shots of her, like leaned far back with like her head tilted to the camera making like a, a i don't know some sort of pleased expression even that just feels like oh this this feels like there was definitely not an intimacy coordinator on set it's just camera being like push push your head back look uh, look like you're enjoying it i can just feel the uh, the artifice of the scene so. a man who's never had sex before <laughs> let's put it this way I would certainly ask, like, if I was directing something like that, I'd probably ask somebody who's had sex before, like, okay, how do you do this exactly? Yeah, that's why in intimacy coordinators are usually a standard now during sex scenes. Interesting. Okay. Or just, like, make-out scenes. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if they bring them in for those kind of scenes. Yeah, I'm not sure. I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah, someone who specializes in kind of making the actors feel comfortable and kind of finding a way to express that without it feeling super fake and artificial like this does to me but <laughs> but otherwise i even that scene i can't complain too much i mean really um but but i did i did definitely want to talk about the the climax if if you want to get there because yeah i can't really think of anything else uh other than just poor sarah connor's who died and i don't know whether or not sarah's mother died yeah, I guess they don't really... Yeah, hmm. We don't really bring her up again. Because Terminator goes to the, her cabin, and I don't know if she's there or if not. I, I don't know. Well, well, this is going into the sequel, unfortunately, but we could fill in that we... Because we see in this, the second one, um, yeah, the, the, other ter the other Terminator... I can't remember what it is. T-1000, maybe? Yeah, T-1000. Yeah, he has to, like, kill John Connor's stepmom. And then like steals her voice so maybe the terminator has to hear someone's voice in order to be able to 
emulate it. So. That's true. No, that's and that's another cool thing about this, where they do some dubbing, which I loved so much. Like they, as a guy now, it's like they actually made dubbing uh, make sense or practical in a way. Yeah, it sounds cool. And so I really do enjoy that. And yeah, it's it, it is that where I don't know if that was Cameron initially, because. Uh, Every time I think the Terminator speaks uh, in a different voice, it's always from somebody he's heard. Or it's heard, excuse me. Hmm. Oh, by the way, I like, I mentioned that whole cat scene where the guy's like a, like a housekeeper. Yeah. It's like, what, do you got a dead cat in there? I like that we see the Terminator's vision as he's selecting his response. Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Those were yes, yeah, what, <laughs> uh... Something else, F F U A hole, and then just F U. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Golly, it reminded me of playing a video game. You just like scroll down there to your response. <laughs> it's pre-selected. Speaking of responses, I think I got a response. I think we found another great fire guy on fire scene since Swamp Thing and Thing from Another World. Hmm. Terminator on fire, like that's a that whole truck explosion. Holy crap! Yep, that was pretty cool. I was, yeah. That was a taker truck. That was insane. By the way, I think this might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure when she's either in Mexico or on the border of California and Mexico, um, she gets gas for, I think it was 40 cents and 3 cents or something like that. Oh, my God. 40.3 <laughs> cents. I'm like, what the fudge? Per liter, by the way. I'm like, what? I wish we see we would have seen her going to the movie theater and there being like three bucks for your general admission. Oh my goodness! And I would have been like, "Fuck you, fuck you." And then <laughs> she's like, "Yeah, dollar for popcorn." She's like, "That's a ripoff." I'm like, "Excuse me." Oh, uh, how dare you say that? But yes, uh, climax. Let's go. Oh uh, yeah, the design. I mean, that's just completely iconic. And again, as a kid. Uh, I remember that thing just, yeah, scaring the hell out of me. I didn't like to look at it. And stop motion in general, I always thought it had a creepy aesthetic to it. And the stop motion shots, I've heard people in recent years complain about them looking really shoddy. But they've got such an inhuman quality to them that I think they work very well. And this in and of itself works, is, is why it works. And surprisingly, this never made me uh, abhorrent or... Um, afraid to stay away from keeping my distance from stop motion films like like Coraline or Kobo and the Two Strings and or uh, Wallace and Gromit never did it's just in this moment when it was used I was like dang this is effective and the best thing stop motion has ever produced yeah it's real creepy uh, th that's not that's not true but like this is like the working with how the nature of stop motion works is brilliant that it that the the reason it looks it does look inhuman but it's like it's when they use uncanny valley for the, the correct effect mm -hmm. like i know there's there's i know there's something somewhere where like they use deep fakes that that one day it'll actually work properly like they'll use it as like a joke golly him limping down the corridor is just that that's what got me i had nightmares for days or at least i kept thinking about that for days yep. Oh, it's scary. It's it's really scared me as a kid. I didn't. I think I put on like a brave face for my mom because I didn't want her to not let me watch these kind of things. But I remember sitting and thinking about that Terminator and being like, "Oh my god! Like, what if what if Terminators really become a real thing one day?" 
Like it's a in the practical effect shots of walking around. Even those scared me because I was like, oh, it looks so real. Like, do they have a real robot doing that? Like, uh. even the and you're right, the design for the T800, it looks like it really could exist. Like it mm -hmm. looks completely practical. And something about the creepy teeth. Like I was like, those could just chomp on you. <laughs> uh, it's not just that. It's just the fact that you can actually see the skeleton and the skull. So, of course, like, you know, that's what happens when you don't have a mouth. That's why we have, like, lips, for pit's sakes. Because if we didn't, and even though, you know, you, you see the, the skeleton hanging in any biology lab, um, yeah, that looks creepy. It's like, yes, that's that's the point. Teeth look creepy. We don't have the lips or, or flaps. Yeah, and I also have to mention this. Um, I think in a recent one that I did with Sean and Eric, I mentioned... Uh, seeing um what's it called romancing the stone you, do you know that movie yes i actually watched that years ago but it's kind of left my memory yeah my mom loved those as, as well um she had them she had the both of them on vhs when i was a kid and when she showed them to me the first time that was one of the first times i felt like hey this kind of feels like it's trying to rip off another movie so i kind of felt like hey it was it was somewhat ripping off indiana jones another time that i had that maybe a few years later was the first time I ever watched Child's Play 2 and we got to the ending and it's like a complete ripoff of this sequence except it's in a, a factory that makes the Child's Play dolls and yeah they're they're hiding behind all these machinery bits and they have to crush the Chucky and it, yeah, he becomes stripped away and he's like the robot half robot Chucky coming around he's even at one point like yeah, it, it was just so blatantly ripping it off that I was like, hey, this is, this is a rip-off. I've seen this before as a little kid. <laughs> but it, it's it's fantastic here. I, I love all those scenes, and I love I love the way that Kyle Reese dies. I think that's super cool that it's just so abrupt and he's done. Yep. It's not like, I don't know, like he doesn't have like some scene where they stop the action for to be like, Sarah, I always loved you. Survive for John. It's just he gets down and then then he just has like one final act and then he's dead. Indiscriminate. Just like the two police officers. Indiscriminate. Just like it just happens and that's it. It's like dang. Yep. Can't believe that. Um by the way, I was gonna ask with like the when he's cutting his face off, uh, or getting rid of the eye. And we see like, you know, the face of the Terminator and it's you know you know, a face of, of Arnold. Is that technically like the first time we see a deep fake? <laughs> oh, the, the prosthetic face? Yeah, of course not. <laughs> no. <laughs> but that was one of the weaker effects. Just a little bit of the Uncanny Valley. It was, but I don't know. I think I believe it a little more than you know, some of the other stuff nowadays, but that's just me. Yeah, and it helps that he's a, that he's a robot. Because he does look like a robot in that shot, but by the way, do you, in this factory here, the steel production plant, uh, does this give you any flashbacks to episode two? Oh, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I see where Spielberg ripped, uh, got the original idea from. He got it from James Cameron and Terminator. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess so. Therefore, George Lucas sort of ripped off Terminator. At the very end, I mean. By the way, these are droids. <laughs> Oh my God, he's back! Sorry, I'm just watching it in the background. Then. No, yeah, I'm about to. I'm about to do the same thing. Well, yeah, same with me. Um, this is what you want droids to be. 
Yeah, and you see these shots of, or you, I'm sure you won't see it right now, but when uh, the Terminator's like a half-body crawling after her, and we see like... Freaked me out. His little end bits. They also ripped that off identically in Child's Play, the first one. You see like the, <laughs> him crawling half-bodied, and we like focus on his little end bits dangling. Oh my goodness, I just realized that he did that same thing in Aliens. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we see a little bit of that there. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Holy smokes. Not until now. It's like end bits. I'm like, oh, kind of like the, the entrails almost of of um, a bishop. Yeah, I guess, yeah, his next film, he also focuses on kind of an android character. It's interesting. So it's interesting they say cyborg here. I wouldn't yeah. say this is a cyborg. Like, general grievances. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give my universal dis dis uh, distinction between android and um, and cyborg. So how I've always so there's 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 four types. I know spectrum obviously there should be more than just that. It's like you know LGBT spectrum. But anyway, uh, you have human, you have android, you have cyborg. No, sorry, you have human, cyborg, android, robot. Uh, at the two ends we have human, which is fully organic, and we have robot, which is fully synthetic. Um, Android is the in-between where it would start off as a machine or artificial person and it would actually become like an artificial skin and the the, the skeleton is also but everything's artificial. Like it's all generated within a factory. Um, Man-made. Cyborg is when enhancements, cybernetic enhancements, machinery is crafted onto human skin or the body. So like Vision for instance in MCU is I think a perfect instance of an android. Hmm. Uh, replicants are also a good one, and then the same with uh, Lance Henderson's or Bishop in Aliens. I don't, at least me personally speaking, I don't like the idea of this being an android. It's clearly just a, it's just a robot with like you know human flesh over it, but it's not like it's like if if that flesh were destroyed, it would actually affect it. But really, it it doesn't, other than like parts of its skeleton being injured. That's just me. No, yeah, yeah, I agree. That's just my, like, that's how I term each of these. Uh, when I go with science fiction, excuse me. Yeah, I would even be a little bit more broad with Android, I would say. I don't even necessarily think that Androids have to look like uh, humans, but I just think of Androids as being um, conscious, like being a full AI. Yes, yes, that's perfect. Uh, 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 Astro Boy. Astro Boy is number one. Yeah, like a robot. A robot's more like uh, something that you program, and it doesn't have independent thought. That that's my uh, my own bias, or my own thoughts. Eh, it's fair. I would also say that Iron Giant is a robot. That's fair. That that's fair. Does get conscious, so it's weird. Whereas like Astro Boy was designed from the ground up to have consciousness. So yeah, I guess it depends on what you're uh, what you're watching, but yeah, exactly. What do you think about this final little bit that we get at the end? Creepy as all freaking heck. Uh, but I, I assume you mean the bit afterwards when she is in the desert in her um, explorer? No, not explorer, whatever it was. Her jeep. Yeah, and the little kid, we get the shot with the little kid taking the picture that we know that uh, Kyle Reese would, would form his love after. <laughs> um, or at least we assume he's the one. <laughs> oh, this whole film is, by the way, the Mandela effect. <laughs> Just because she has to, because the the tapes thing was because Ruth suggested it. John, she's influenced because his name is gonna be John. It's like, but you don't know that. I uh, know it's that's that's where it gets really weird because 
it must have always happened this way. That's the only way that it makes sense, I would think. Well, I don't know if there's a stable timeline because, you know, the way we yeah. think of time travel and how it's supposed to actually work is that it already happened. Like, it's it's a closed event, whereas, like, um, in Back to the Future, that's an open event where there are plot holes. Not that we care. There it is. 40.3 for Litro. Uh -huh. That's that's funny. Um, and her renegade, sorry, her, her Jeep renegade. And surprisingly, she's pregnant. <laughs> Yeah, I guess actually it could make sense if she was always going to have a son named John Connor. It just wasn't like the one that ends up happening after this is a slightly different John Connor. Because he's got slightly different genes and a slightly different upbringing. Yeah, depending on who her husband or, or lover, boyfriend, whomever is. Yeah, because I guess, I, I guess because at least in these first two, the future is what you make. You can always change it. So I guess she maybe... At the end of this, it isn't like a loop. Maybe she is really changing it, but we just don't know it. I don't know. It's difficult. If you think of it as everything happens as a result of the time travel, then it becomes wonky and weird. Yeah. Because then it was like, was it once Skynet was built that this was all set in motion and it was just like fate? But then in Terminator 2, they're like, no fate, but what you make for yourself. So then it becomes, yeah, wonky. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then you can. Well, we'll get we'll get into that later. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I, I just want to like stress so hard that this film, this this concept, this robot gets sent from the future to kill somebody in the past, only can work, I think, in the eighties and nothing else. I think it only works there. I think it's like the fact that it's all because for one man and to go to his mother instead. It, I think, has to be at that point. Well, that's yeah. I, I, I could be convinced otherwise, but I, I think I, I think I somewhat agree with you. Yeah, or at least it would have only felt as uh, kind of distinct as it does if it came out back then. Because if they made this today, I, everyone would just be like, okay, well, there's another one of these kind of movies. We've seen these kind of things all the time. Time travel and robots. Um, but time travel and robots, maybe at this period of time, was a little bit more distinct. Even if there wasn't a Terminator, I feel like we've seen so much more robot stories and time travel stories in general. So, I also love the matte painting at the very end. Kind of haunting. Oh, it's cool. It's making me think of Ghostbusters in some ways. Yes. But does that bring us around, uh, around to the final thoughts on this? Uh... I am watching the credits as we speak, so like, we too. pretty much <laughs> went the whole way, the whole nine yards on this one. Yeah, and I was rewinding it and jumping around, so... It's a fairly short movie. It's only yeah, an hour and 47. So, it's not hugely long, but that is actually a little long for just a straight horror flick, but... Ah, it is. But again, it's got that sci-fi bent, but... But yeah, what'd you think of this one? The first of our... George, uh, James... I just want to... I keep wanting to say George Cameron. How dare you... <laughs> <laughs> There's probably uh, existed George Cameron somewhere. <laughs> I don't know who, who or whom that is, but... We're sorry, we're not talking about George Cameron, we're talking about Jimmy Cameron. There you go. Yeah, Jimmy J. Jimmy J. Cameron. Is that his actual last middle name? I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. Double J. Jeff Cameron. Jeff! His name is <laughs> Jeff. Yeah, he's a, he's a famous country wrestler. Country singer-wrestler. Oh, interesting, okay. I'm just, I'm just playing. <laughs> but go ahead, your final thoughts on this, this one here. Yeah, of course, I'll give you my final thoughts. Uh, worth it, watch it. It's a lot of fun. 
I yeah, I don't really have much complaints, I'd say, other than like, yeah, maybe the time travel doesn't make a whole lot of sense other than like it has to exist only in this time period. Um take that X-Men Days of Future Past, you blatant freaking ripoff. Just kidding. Damn, damn, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I read the comic. It's been a long time though since I read it. It was it was actually anticlimactic because I read it after days like the movie Days of Future Past came out. I was like, mm. this was just an off issue almost, like with nothing else other than that. It's so funny how this entire like idea itself of Days of Future Past became this like highly regarded like gem of X-Men that defined it so much. Like that's that's crazy. Hey, you weren't reading the uh weren't reading the issues around it. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I was I sort of was, but like cuz they they did in it was a small like collection of like I think the before I think it introduced Kitty Pride and then it introduced mm-hmm. cuz yeah that she's critically a part of that series or that that story um that gets she gets sent back to her other her younger self, excuse me, uh, via telepathy. I just, uh, I don't know. It's like, it's just funny that like that became so like iconic for the X Men in that point that it got a movie, a great movie, mind you. But I'm still surprised by that. And I'm pretty sure they adapted it in the animated series too. Again, I'm just surprised that they did that and nobody like complained. Like I guess at that point it was just like, oh, it's a no determinator. Well. I- yeah, and, uh, the, oh, Skywalker sound interesting. Yeah, there, there's been lots of time travel stories. I don't know if it may, maybe it was more of a ripoff. Yeah, I haven't read that actual comic, but but anyway, yeah. To my final thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have much more to say than what I've already said. I think this is a a pretty close to flawless kind of just slick movie. Like it all works pretty well. I don't feel like there's lots of extraneous bits as a combination of sci-fi and horror especially for sci-fi and slasher horror i don't feel like you see that much no so that's super cool um i've always been a a big fan of arnold schwarzenegger i don't think that's come up much on the podcast either but back in my when i was still collecting vhs tapes i would always ask my parents like oh can we go to like a pawn shop i want to find more so i've got a huge amount of arnold schwarzenegger movies just on my my tapes because <laughs> I was always looking to see more of his work and this one I think is yeah really a really solid performance for him so I'm always happy to go back to it and I'm happy to have finally uh, discussed it with you on the podcast here so <laughs> you're welcome sir I don't know why you're a massive fan of him because he's a Republican but I guess that is what it is well he, that was much later in his career that was around the time that you retired acting but <laughs> at least that he became like a political political figure before then he was just an action star politician yeah just because he you know falls in the footsteps of reagan well and he wasn't doing that when i was a kid too by the way he was uh you know when i was seeing some of these movies it was before he retired from acting i even remember seeing uh trailers for collateral damage and being like oh i'm excited to see this and i didn't see it until many many years later and boy it was terrible wow just horrible end of days oh man Maybe someday we'll get to some of those other Schwarzenegger movies. Or Sixth Day. Oh, man, I used to love the Sixth Day. See, every time you say End of Days and Sixth Day, I always think they're the same film. Oh, yeah, it's very distinctly, very, very distinctly different. Um, one of them is... I, I was actually going to include the Sixth Day. I was putting together 
um, around the time that before we did The Exorcist on here, I was going to put together a series of religious horror movies and then 21st century religious horror movies. It was going to be a comparison of how great they used to be and how terrible they've become. <laughs> Interesting. And the sixth day was going to be an example of just how embarrassingly. Oh, sorry. God damn it. End of days. <laughs> See what I mean? See what I mean? Oh, no. Yeah, end of days is going to be an example of how terribly embarrassing they became. But, but I just abandoned that that series. I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. But anyway, yeah, again, thanks. Thanks for, I think it was you that came up with the idea of covering all these camera movies. So I'm excited to uh, get to the next one with you, Aliens. Let's just say that this is redemption. Like, hmm. I want to make up for Star Wars, even though we're doing that. Yeah, I don't. With, the, with, the, with Speakeasy, but just like, I want this idea before we watch all these films beforehand. I just, I want that to work because it's just a cool idea. Yeah, and I, I feel like we've already made up for that by a long shot with all the series we've done so far. Oh, well, that's fine, but that was just an initial idea of like, hey, let's watch all these films before uh, Episode Nine comes out. I guess that's fair. Yeah, we haven't done a build-up series. That's exactly it. Thank you. That's the perfect word of saying, like, build-up. Mm -hmm. Like, let's let's get our limited audience of, like, two people. Uh, let's get them mm -hmm. to, like, also go see this and get them hyped. Yeah, so that is kind of cool. Oh, but now that we've arrived at the end of this episode, do you have any, do you have any final words of wisdom for us, or final words of per perplexing uh, strangeness potentially? I would like to know whether or not it's possible for a xenomorph uh, facehugger oh. to implant itself within a terminator. I'm gonna assume no, and then a Termalian doesn't come out of the chest. <laughs> Tune in next week when we review Dark Horse's comic of Terminator vs. Aliens vs. Predator. And we'll, uh, we'll find out. <laughs> Obviously we're not going to review that. If it exists. I'm sure it does exist. It does. No, it exists. <laughs> like it's, And it's so funny that James Cameron is like the godfather of that. Oh, is he? Was he involved with the Dark Horse comics? <laughs> no, it's just like he you know, he, did, he does Terminator. Which Dark Horse, you know, milks. He greatly increases aliens, making it more iconic. And then he, <laughs> the, only, the only thing he works in with Predator is to Stan Winston. You know, I think that would be cool if the Predator had mandibles. Oh, did he? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, we owe him for that. Yeah, we owe him for that. And thank you, and good night. Good night.